Well, as we launched our uh, saying, Grace Feeding Children Everywhere Today, I, I thought at first, uh, you know, what'd be, what would be an appropriate theme to go with that? What message could I preach with that? And I, immediately my mind went to the miracle uh, that we find in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, where one of the best-known miracles where Jesus feeds uh, a multitude of people uh, with two fish and five loaves of bread. And uh, I think it probably is one of the favorites of most people. Uh, it might be like a little boy in Sunday school was asked by his teacher what was his favorite story in the Bible. And he says, I like the story that Jesus told about the little boy who loafed and fished. And that, that probably might entice a lot of people to think that's favorite. But I think there's some other reasons perhaps uh, as to why that might be a, a favorite of so many people. And one reason is because uh, this account... This miracle is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Not every miracle, not all teachings are are accounted for in all four of the Gospels, but this miracle is. I think secondly it's because it shows the compassion uh, of Jesus on human need. And then thirdly, I think it's popular because it contains a great human interest story. Here was a small boy. We don't know how old he was, but he came and he gave his lunch, even though it was meager of two fish and five barley loaves of bread, he gave it to Jesus to feed a multitude of hungry people. Now, let's look at that story as we find it in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. When we start reading in verse 1, the Scripture begins by saying sometime after this, and that's talking about the events, of course, that happened in chapter 5, and it's where Jesus has been giving a, a long discourse on a witness about who he is and about how God has been working, and he himself is working as well. And so that leads to this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. As we look at this story, there's so many different aspects of it. And all of it just an intriguing miracle. Uh, And as the fourth sign or miracle that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John, identifying himself as the Christ, the Messiah coming into this world. 
But let's just simply break it down into three separate components. First of all, let's look at the scene of this miracle. And now there are three things in that scene we need to notice. First of all, uh, the mountainside. That's where they would gather. I think we got a picture of that. Uh, Jesus had crossed over the Sea of Galilee to a grassy mountainside uh, where he had been preaching and healing the sick, and he retreats here for some rest. Beautiful place. You can see that and see what you might call their grassy mountainside right there. Then notice the multitude of people. Uh, There was a huge crowd that had followed on that that day, uh, following after Jesus. They had heard the teaching. They had seen some signs that this was the Christ. And we're told here by John that there were at least 5,000 men. Matthew tells us in his account that there were women and children as well. And some people have estimated that there could have been as many as 15, maybe even 20,000 people gathered in that place to listen to Jesus. What a multitude of people. And then comes the miracle. And we got a picture of the fish and loaves. The miracle was that Jesus took the lunch of a young boy who offered it, and he fed the multitude of people. All of these people, whether it was 5,000, 15,000, it doesn't matter. He fed all of them, had 12 baskets left over because he was the Messiah. He was the Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful miracle we see. Reminds me of a story, and as I watch my grandchildren uh, grow and watch them and the dynamics of these children as they get older, sometimes there's some interesting things that take place. I heard about a little boy and his sister who were arguing over who was going to get the last brownie. And the mother overheard that, and she said, ah, this is a teachable moment. So she comes into the kitchen, and she looks at the one brownie, and she looks at the children, and she says, what would Jesus do? And the little boy said, that's easy, Mom. He'd break the brownie and make 5,000 more, and everybody would have enough to eat. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did in this story, isn't it? He took a little boy's lunch. He blessed it. He broke it. He fed the entire multitude, however many it was. There were 12 baskets left over, and everyone was filled. They were satisfied. Now, the second thing about this miracle is look at the symbolism of this miracle. We look a little bit deeper, and we see the symbolism. First of all, I think it shows us that Jesus cares about our needs in life. So Jesus knew about the needs of these people before it ever became voiced. Do you notice in the reading of this miracle that Jesus does not hear anybody offer a complaint that they were hungry? But he knew that they had been with him. Uh, he knew that they had been with him for a long time, and he had been teaching and preaching and talking about the kingdom. He knew that human need was there. It was getting late in the day, and it was past time for them to eat. So what do we read into that? I think it's symbolic of the fact that Jesus is constantly aware of our needs, even before we express them to him. He knows what your needs are, whether it's physical or spiritual um, or material. He knows what your needs are before you even express it to him, because Jesus cares about all the needs of our life. He knows everything that you might need. He knows everything that you're experiencing. It's because he is a God of compassion. He cares about our needs in life. I think a second thing to notice is that Jesus knew how he was going to meet their need. Now, this is an interesting dialogue. Listen to this. 
Jesus turns to Philip. I don't know why he turned to Philip. Maybe he was the closest one there. I've been trying to think about what Philip in, in the AD series on television, what, what we read into his character as to why maybe Jesus asked him on this occasion. But he turned to Philip and he said, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And the next verse says, he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, immediately here, I think, we get a clue about a deeper meaning to this miracle underneath everything else that he did. That, it, first of all, it was a test. It was a test, and the first person to take the exam was Philip, and the first person to flunk it was Philip. Jesus asked Philip a rhetorical question. Now, he, he wasn't really asking Philip where to buy food because he already knew, the Scripture says, what he was going to do. He was simply testing Philip, and Philip thumped it straight up. Philip answered, and he said, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Other translations say 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone might have enough. So what do we see with Philip? Philip answered a question that Jesus didn't even ask. Jesus didn't ask the question, how much? He asked the question, where? See, Philip got out his abacus or whatever he used for his accounting, and he began to figure out how much food it would take and how much it would cost to buy all of that food. A denaria he talks about. Got a picture of it there. Small silver coin. It's usually the equivalent of a full day's work for a working man. And Philip calculated that it would take somewhere between 200 to 240 days of an average working man to feed that hungry crowd. Somebody has figured it out that says in today's economy, that would be equivalent to about $20,000. You see, Philip looked at his person. And then he looked at his purse, and he quickly figured out several things. First, there was no place to buy that much food. Second, even if there was a place and he had the money, there wasn't enough time to get it. And so Philip looked at the size of the multitude, the sum of the money, shrugged his shoulders, and he said, it's impossible. Philip could be what we call a statistical pessimist. He had a slide rule or a calculator for a mind. If things couldn't fit in that logical order of, of processing things, then it didn't fit. It didn't work. He didn't see beyond what was obvious at hand at the time. Now, what was the confidence that Jesus had? As the Scripture says, he knew what he was going to do. Well, Jesus knew that he was God in the flesh. He knew that he had a direct line to God the Father. He knew that he had the power to provide, and he does today. He's not only aware constantly of our needs in life, but he also has the power to provide or to meet all of the needs that we have in life, no matter what they might be. And then there's a third thing to see. And that is that Jesus takes what we have and he blesses it to his glory. 
It's, it's just a great human interest story, isn't it? And how children are often the ones who show that, that faith that we long to have. They're readily obedient. You know, they, they have a, a wide open heart that trusts and that's filled with generosity. And here comes a young boy. And I don't know how Andrew happened to be around him, but, but Andrew is seen always bringing somebody to Christ, introducing somebody to Christ. And, and this young boy comes up and he gave his lunch to Jesus, five barley loaves and two fish. Somewhere in my mind I have this thought that the way Andrew was always pictured as bringing people to Christ was because he was a people person and he was behind the scenes and he would interact with people. He'd get to know them. He would enter into a conversation with them. How did he know this little boy had a lunch with him and what it contained? Two fish and five barley loaves. I think it's because he got to know the little boy first. But even at that, Andrew wasn't impressed with the meal because in verse 9 he says to Jesus, Here was a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And that was an honest observation, wasn't it? Two sardines and five little small rolls not going to feed very many people. But look at the faith that the little boy had. I think it really does indicate the faith that this little boy had. We're not sure how old he was. But look at the difference between this boy and the disciples. Where the disciples saw a lack, the little boy saw the Lord. Where they saw a multitude, he saw a miracle. And where they saw a crowd, this little boy saw Christ. And without any reservation, <clears throat> without any hesitation, and I think without being coerced by Andrew, he readily offered his lunch. And I think that little boy learned two lessons that day that he probably never forgot the rest of his life. I think it's very interesting in the Bible that we've, we see so many encounters that Jesus had with people and we never get the rest of the story from most all of them. You know, like Jesus with the rich young ruler, and, he, and it says that he turned and walked away because he loved his money more than anything else. I often wonder, did he ever come to a point where he came back? We don't ever know what happened to this little boy. Did he, ever, did he grow up and become a follower of Christ? Did he grow up and then maybe, maybe he became a preacher of the gospel? We don't know. We don't know his name, don't know where he lived, don't know where he came from, don't know where he was going. But I think he learned two very important lessons that you and I can learn as well. And the first one is this, never doubt what God can do. He's in the miracle business. And the second one is, never deny God whatever God asks you to give him because he's in the multiplication business. And boy, that can be translated into our life in a multiple set of ways, can it? You know, he wants our heart and our soul for salvation. He wants our possessions as a matter of trust. He wants us to give back to him what he asked for. And he says, come on now, trust me in this, and I will meet your needs if you're obedient to what I ask for. So what does that mean for us when we look at this little boy? And, and he, he saw that, that Jesus was in the miracle business. And that he could, he could depend upon what Jesus was going to do. And that he did not deny Jesus what Jesus asked of him. So what does it mean for us? I think it means very simply that when we give Jesus the things of our life, when we put them into his hands, 
He's able to take those simple things and work miracles to his glory. Think about it this way. A basketball in my hands is basically still just a basketball. But that same basketball in the hands of Steph Curry for the Warriors or LeBron James for the Cavaliers, and it can do marvelous, amazing things. If you're watching the finals on the NBA, you can see that. You see, a golf club in my hand is sometimes embarrassed. Um, but you put that same golf club in the hands of Phil Mickelson because he's left-handed, swings left-handed, I swing left-handed. Or put a decent club in the hands of Roy McElroy, and that golf club can do amazing things. A tennis racket in the hands of Venus or Serena, Serena Williams does amazing things. And one of them won whatever it was they were playing in yesterday. I get them mixed up. And then go out a piano in the hands of Billy Joel makes amazing music, doesn't it? Bottom line is that when you and I place who we are and what we have in the hands of God, he does wonderful, amazing things. See, we possibly think that uh, of our gifts, talents, abilities, our energy, and our intellect are things that God wants. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But because this shows us something about the compassion of Jesus in this story, seeing the needs of these people and wanting to meet those needs before they were ever expressed, then this also applies to every aspect of our life. See, God doesn't only want us to place our gifts, our monies, our talents, our energy, and our abilities in his hands. But he also wants us to make sure we know we can give him our grief. We can, we can give him our bitterness. We can give him our anger. So we can get rid of all that stuff that gets in our way of the abundant life that Jesus gives to us and wants us to enjoy. You see, just, just as God wants to take that offering of the barley loaves and the few fish and multiply it, he wants to take what's eating away at our souls and robbing us of the joy in our lives. And he wants to do away with it. Because he cares about our needs. He knows our needs. And he's a kind, loving, and gracious God. Now let's come to the third part of this story. And this is where we simply see the spiritual truth uh, uh, from this miracle. You know, Jesus didn't perform this miracle to simply be braggadocious or to wow the people, even though we see later that they were wowed by it and they followed after him and wanted to see another miracle. But there's a lesson to the loaves that runs much deeper than feeding however many people it was and having the baskets left over. You've got to look beyond the miracle, and in verse 14, look at the Messiah. So after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. I think beneath everything else that we touch on in, in this story, that underneath all of it is to illustrate the fact that Jesus displays himself, reveals himself, shows himself as the Messiah. And that's why he says in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. You see, this miracle is not so much about material bread to meet physical needs but it's more about spiritual bread, the bread of life that meets spiritual needs. I think the whole point of this miracle was not to feed the stomachs of these people, 
but to allow them to see the power of God who would meet the, the, the need and the hunger in their souls. Jesus had a deep spiritual meaning to this miracle, being the bread of life. I think there are three things to point out and to remember. The first is that heavenly food is more important than earthly food. Jesus answered in verses 26 through 27 when they questioned him about the miracle. And he said, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And he goes on to say, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You see, Jesus challenges us to pursue a spiritual diet with more vigor than to simply pursuing a physical one. He tells us that the bread spiritually that we eat is assimilated to our life, just like bread is to our, real bread is to our physical life. The bread that Jesus gives to us, the bread of life, assimilates our spiritual nature to his. So you you can be filled with so many things and still have a hungering in your life that can only be met by Jesus Christ. I look at the culture around us today and we can bemoan the fact of what we have lost in our culture and we can bemoan the fact that things aren't like they used to be. I know they aren't. But we can also look at the culture today and see people who don't believe in an absolute truth, who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who believe that there are multiple ways to the kingdom of God, and we see a perfect opportunity to minister and to meet spiritual needs and to give them the bread of life. Yeah, we're going to pack 100,000 meals, I believe, Brad, to feed hungry stomachs. But at the same time, we are also going to be giving a witness to the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ, who can meet the deepest need that anybody has in life. A second thing to notice in this is that heavenly food is found only in Jesus Christ. The followers came after him and they said, give us this bread. Give us this bread you're talking about. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus is the bread of life. It's the only food that satisfies a heart that is hungering after a relationship with God. So the choice that Jesus gave that crowd of people seeking a further sign is the same one he gives us today. Eat the manna of this world and stay hungry without being satisfied or eat the bread of life that he gives and have your spiritual hunger satisfied. In other words, to us, he would say, continue your lifestyle, which does not satisfy, which does not bring glory and honor to God, or give your life to Christ and let him, the bread of life, come into your life and satisfy your deepest needs and you will no longer have a hunger and you will no longer have a thirst. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying that he is sufficient to meet the spiritual longing that's in your life. He is the bread of life. He can take away all of your spiritual uncertainty and fulfill them in himself as the Messiah. 
And then there's a third observation about that, and that is that heavenly food is given to those who believe in Jesus Christ. You want this bread of life? Then you've got to believe in Jesus. In other words, Jesus was saying to the people who came and followed after him and wanted more miracles, they wanted another sign, they, they wanted to see Jesus do something else. And, and then they said, well, give us this bread that you're talking about from which we'll never hunger again. And Jesus said, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. See, what Jesus is saying is that we have to believe in Jesus Christ and have that relationship with God so that we know that there's no more hungering or thirsting in our life but we're completely satisfied in Jesus Christ, and by that we also find eternal life in that relationship with God. I find it so interesting as we look at this story, this miracle, and feeding five to 15, maybe 20,000 people, and we have a goal to feed 100,000, pack 100,000 meals and feed however many people uh, that will feed. And yet at the same time, there are 34 million adults in this country who are overweight. Obesity is one of our great problems. And we spend over $2 billion a year eating out, and 11 million people starve to death each year. See, food is in abundance, but people are hungry. They just don't know the source of the food, physically, for most of them. And spiritually, oh boy, the same thing is so true. When I look at the world of people out there today, I, I see people who are absolutely lost. They're hungering and thirsting for fulfillment in life, and they don't know what it is. And we know that it's Jesus if we have encountered him and been filled. So I'd say to you today, if there is that spiritual hunger, that emptiness in your soul, then come to Jesus who is the bread of life. Partake of him and allow him to satisfy the deepest level of need that you have in your life. See, Jesus is the Messiah who wants to work a miracle in your life today as the bread of life. He wants to satisfy your spiritual hunger. And that can only be done as you accept him by faith as the Son of God, as the Messiah. Father, we marvel at the miraculous works of Jesus, especially in this miracle as how he took the offering of two fish and five little loaves of bread, and through the divine power you had granted to him, he was able to multiply it and feed thousands of people. Father, help us to look beyond that miraculous story and to see the spiritual need around us or the spiritual need that's in our own life. Maybe we need to be reassured today that you know about every need in our life and you're taking care of it. Maybe we need to know today that we can bring to you everything in life that burdens us, grief, sorrow, pain, anger, humiliation, guilt, whatever it might be. And we can bring that to you and give it to you, and you can take that from us. And, Father, if there are those here today who, who still have that spiritual hunger in their life and know not where to be filled with meaning and purpose in life, may they be drawn to Jesus Christ, 
who is the bread of life and gave himself as the bread for life. And Father, I pray this in this name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.